0: So, Kelly, we were together all weekend for Vic 70.3, and now we are back. Well, you are gone. It's so sad. Back home, and we're back on Skype again, recording. And yeah, we had a good weekend, didn't we?
1: We had a good weekend. We did film a live Facebook video, like we promised. So everyone, if you haven't seen it, you should go. I mean, it's full of insight, really. Just deep, deep pro tip insight. Somebody called it a rambling Facebook video. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why (laughs) i was like really (laughs) you also let's also be clear though you were sharing some things on instagram too and we did like a photo shoot and on instagram uh you made it sound like i killed a cat and there is now someone out there who's legitimately concerned that i killed a cat their friend's cat right
0: so i made a joke about (laughs) kelly killing a cat and then someone reached out to me just now before we started recording asking if because um, her friend's cat, sadly, had been this is the sad part of the story had been involved in a hit and run, and I'm, I understand has passed. But just to be clear, Kelly was not involved in the in a hit and run with a cat.
1: Oh my God. I know. i like, I don't know what it says. Someone thinks both that Sarah would joke about this and that I would have just hit and run a cat. Uh, cause that's crazy. No, the, the funny part was that I was basically telling Sarah my homestay and one night. I both accidentally unplugged their freezer in their garage that had all their meat and couldn't figure out how to turn it back on. And then I went inside to the house and there was a cat like pa- pounding on the door, like wanting to come in, but I didn't know if it was their cat or a stray cat. I didn't want to let a stray cat. and I So I was maybe responsible both for ruining all of their meat and leaving their cat out in the wild. The cat was spotted. He was fine. The, the next cat day. The cat was
0: fine. At least maybe the cat would have had the meat to eat. I know. I'm like, <laughs> was that's going to attract
1: a bear that's going to eat the cat. Oh, God. It was. I was like, how <laughs> am I ruining these entire people's house? <laughs> so that was the inside joke about the cat. And
0: um, yes, so Kelly was not responsible for the death of a cat. No, Uh, no. And we also
1: did a photo shoot from my box. Mm -hmm. Where you made me do handstands and rope climbs the day after a 70.3, which I don't think we really thought that all the way through. I definitely did not. Like when I saw you (laughs) doing those handstands, I was like,
0: oh yeah, right. post raised hands. I mean, you know, sometimes the next day you feel so tired, you're sort of nauseous. Obviously you have zero muscle glycogen, <laughs> right? And, uh, but Kelly champed it up and you, you did pretty well on that rope climb I Have to say, <laughs> for the day after everything is like, it has an asterisk beside it of for the day after
1: a race, you did exactly. excellent on the rope climb. And then you're like, can you, uh, can you do another pull up? We didn't get the photo that time. <laughs> I made you climb the rope multiple times too. I know. So those hands photos hands. are coming and, uh, And more tales from your box.
0: Yes. So after the break, I have a tale from my box, uh, some numbers from a friend of the podcast, Torsten Rad. And we're always told that no one cares about our race results, but do they? The drama from Dirty Kanza and the Women's Soccer World Cup. Kelly, I finally got my shipment of Noon up here in Canada, and I am so excited. The last couple days, I've been going to CrossFit with Noon Hydration Sport Watermelon Flavor, and I have been loving it so far. But I want to know from you, what product should I try next?
1: Okay, so you're trying the tablet. So the Sport tablet is the one you drop in your water bottle. They also have an immunity tablet for, you know, when you're feeling sick, that you can drop in your water bottle. And I've been trying the, or been using the Noon Rest which is for recovery and relaxation. It's like chamomile flavored. It has magnesium and potassium in it. Uh, you like drink it before you go to bed. Helps you recover well. You sleep great. It's fantastic. Okay, awesome. I'm totally gonna
0: try that tonight. Okay, if anyone at home wants to try, go to noonlife.com and use the code Iron Women, and you get thirty percent off. So Iron Women is our sister podcast. Noonlife. N U U N life.com. Give it a try. Live Feisty's If We Were Riding is brought to you by Ass Kicker, Inc. Ask Kicker makes active wear for women featuring empowering phrases like work hard, play hard, kick ass, or strong women lift each other up. Ass Kicker, Inc. also makes our fabulous Live Feisty tank tops, t-shirts, hoodies, and leggings. So to order yours, go to livefeisty.com and just choose shop from the menu. And of course use the code riding to save 20 percent. That's riding, as in if we were, at livefeisty.com. And remember, I before E, except if you're feisty. I'm Kelly O'Mara And I'm Sarah Gross. And you're listening to Live Feisty's If We Were Riding.
2: My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop.
1: All right. So I actually saw your box this weekend, Sarah, and it what was, uh, think? is it a nice box? It was everything I hoped for. Um, and I hear you have some tales, another tale. You have a tale about your new column tales from your box.
0: Okay. So yes, I thought about, I did actually write, I have actually written one column. But I thought that for the first installment, and I feel like I'm making too much out of this because now it's going to start. Yes. It's just a little, it's just like a weekly 500 word column. <laughs> but I decided to start at the roots of Tales from My Box, which I believe at least one of the first tales I told was about having an orgasm in the
1: gym while right, like I- accidentally not deliberately on purpose. Not yes. like having sex in your gym is what not, I'm saying. Yeah. To
0: be clear. Yes. No,
1: that's a yes. good point of clarification.
0: Like having something to do with recruiting my core muscles made me feel like I might, this happens to me a lot. Like this still happens to me now where I really? get, yeah, this
1: still does not happen to me. FYI.
0: Yeah. So apparently it's a certain percentage of women. I found out all the stats. So there's been a study. I looked it up and there's a technical term for oh. the orgasm while working out. It's the coregasm.
1: Is that really the technical term or the is that just a made or up? Or maybe
0: the one that Cosmo made up. <laughs> right. Um, and it turns out that it affects 10% of people. No, 10% of people, sorry, have had um, an orgasm in the gym. And there's men too.
1: Okay.
0: Which again, I, I understand the women's physiology of that a little bit better than the men, yeah. but anyway, um, and then it, it's something like 40% of people who have had like the feeling that they might. So on that day and... The number one exercise for having a orgasm is a captain's chair, which I didn't know it was called captain's chair, but was the
1: thing I was doing in what, the gym. I don't know what that sounds orgasmy, but I don't know what it is.
0: It's, um, you know, the, okay. It's the, the ab machine where you're, you, you have your back flat against the wall and your arms are propped up in those padded things. Oh, uh, and then yeah, you lift yeah, your yeah. legs. The like your you legs. can either curl Christ, your legs or you can Christ. lift them straight up. Um, and apparently. Lifting them straight is the number one way to have a corgasm. Um, and that's how I had my corgasm. So Fantastic. also in that same week, I asked people to send in stories about when they had orgasms during exercise and I got a whole bunch of stories. So I'm going to start there. I promised at the time that I was going to write about it. So I'm going to start there, piecing it together, normalizing this whole corgasm experience. <laughs> i good. Um, good. So I was glad I, and it will be filled with more information because now I have, there was as with most things in women's health, there's been one study and I now have it. So I will share.
1: Good. I'm, I'm looking forward to being uh, educated, Sarah. <laughs> As are
0: our millions of listeners, I'm sure. Okay. So tell me this. How, how was your race in Victoria?
1: Uh you also told me no one cares how my race was. So do you does anyone care how my race was in Victoria? Um it was fine. It was not great. But it has become clear to me, like, do you really care that like my it became clear my bike position isn't good or that I had, you know, two mechanicals that cost me a pl right? Like, do you like I don't think people people really care about that? So people I people don't care about the details. People don't care about the details. They care in like a vague way. So here's what I keep coming back to. You know how everyone always says, no one cares about your race but you, and they mean this in like some kind of like it's supposed to be helpful kind of way mm-hmm. and um and i always find that bizarre i don't know why it's helpful but then secondly the next thing people say is like oh well they care about you as a person they just care like if you you know feel good about it they don't care about the actual results so here's my problem here's why i disagree with this i think that people do like care in a vague way even if they don't want your 30 minute race story i know that i I'm ju- like a judgy bitch and have vague opinions about other people based on their races and race report. Right. And they're like, half of them I'm sure are wrong. Right. They're, they're things like, Oh, she always blows up or, Oh God, like she's really fast or, Oh, didn't she, wasn't she hurt for a while? Like those are your kind of like vague opinions. Right. But those are based on a vague sense of how they did it. Something. And I cannot. And so if I extrapolate that, I'm not the only judgy bitch in the world. Of course, other people care. They also are forming vague opinions of me, which at this point are probably vaguely like, well, like, isn't she like kind of sucking right now? Right. Like, that's the vague judgment. And that's just like true. And if like you think that people aren't judging you, like, I don't know, newsflash, like, wake up. They are like, I I just think that's weird.
0: Yeah, I think I think what is meant by nobody cares is that nobody really truly cares It's like they don't carry it with them in the same way they carry their own shit so like they might it might flash through their brain as they're checking through results oh i beat kelly oh so and so beat me oh but they don't then hang on to that then they're just like the minute later they're back to like what am i gonna have for dinner
1: right i feel right now you know the normal things people think so they don't truly care no in net people care more about themselves than anyone else like obviously that is also true i just uh i just think it's weird No, I agree with
0: you. There's nothing more annoying than someone who's formed an opinion of you based on something that you, and you can see it, but you can't necessarily change it.
1: Well, yeah, I'm aware that some of my vague opinions about other people are probably not like when you're, when you're, you're, you know, your vague sense when you look at a start list and you're like, oh, I can beat her or I can't like, those are probably not accurate. Like I don't actually know all the information about each one of these people and what they're going through. So yeah, of course, people's opinions about me are also Vaguely not accurate.
0: Yeah. So, in summary, people people do care, but just a little bit, just a little bit. Okay. And this week we heard from Torsten. Torsten,
1: right? So Victoria was there. Was a number of races this weekend. There was like the Challenge Championship. There was seventy point three Switzerland, which Daniela won. There was like a one in Germany and a name I can't pronounce that Jan won for Dino. Uh, And then there was Victoria. And Victoria, if you look at the results, I mean, obviously the Challenge Championship was competitive. But Victoria was, like, actually the closest of the races. And so it certainly was, like, pretty deep, which gets us back to this whole question of we, we suggested there were more female pros in North America and that that's just a fact. And Torsten and says... we said right. it, We
0: said it as a fact without any... Without crunching any numbers at all, just from observation. Well, okay. It was
1: based, it was based on my vague sense one time that I like looked up the list of U.S. pros and I like knew how many there were registered in the world. And I thought that about half were in North America. And so I, uh, my vague wild speculation is based on vague facts. Okay. Yeah. It's not, I didn't say it was wild. <laughs> we do have wild speculation
0: on this podcast regularly, but, uh. It wasn't well, but it's nice to have it confirmed.
1: Yeah. So he says, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can look at these numbers. Basically, about half of the pros in North America, 70.3 pros in North America are women. Um, actually, slightly more than half of the Ironman pros in North America are women. I don't know how he, like, I think, I don't know how, I think he just counted, like, who did what races. Um, but when you look at the worldwide number of pros, 40% of the women are in North America. And he didn't even count foreign athletes who are based in North America. He only counted North American athletes. Whoa. And, and that would bring it up quite a lot. Right. Cause there's a number of foreign athletes that are based in North America. Um, yet at the so if you say about 40% or slightly more, if you count the foreigners, a female 70.3 pros are living, are in North America, but North America only has about a quarter of the 70.3 races. Then of course, the North American races are going to be over impacted, right? Um,
0: yeah, and that's, with that's the math. with kind of a decreased uh, what do you say incentive for people to travel to other countries because the qualifying changed and because there's slightly less money um, from year to year, then you end up with more people racing at home, and so more of those forty percent are now racing in the actual twenty five percent of races at home, quote unquote and voila, very competitive racing.
1: Very, very. I mean, it's like, obviously the top is always going to be whoever the very top is like that can change. But what you were, what we're talking about is kind of that next, like the tier it's just deep. It's just, it just goes on forever Exactly. after the first person.
0: Okay. I'd like to put this out there. Okay. Torsten, thank you for listening. Thank you for keeping us on track. And if you ever send, like always send numbers if you want to, or check something that we're saying. Cause I'd love to be
1: proved right or wrong, um, by actual facts and numbers. So he did also point out that, uh, that when you look at the worldwide numbers, which are still like worldwide, uh, female participate, like female pros are still, you know, a smaller like a third, but in the U S it's higher. It does suggest that the effort needs to be focused more globally than in North America necessarily. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But that's a topic
0: for the another The effort day. to get more, more
1: women women to pros. step up to the pro ranks right.
0: should, is in bigger need, higher demand in like Europe and Australia, et cetera.
1: That Asia, South America, the rest of the world. The
0: rest of the world, perhaps. the non-America
1: places. Right. There was also some other, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, drama drudges, news stuff this week. So in the newsletter, whenever there's any gossip, it is the first thing that everyone clicks on and it is the thing everyone clicks on. So it cracked me up that everyone wanted to know about Dirty Kanza this week, because I'm actually assuming most people had never heard of Dirty Kanza before.
0: I think what you should do in future newsletters is just put gossip semicolon and then just write a link and
1: then gossip semicolon and see if people click more of the links. Um, they definitely do. But... Maybe they were clicking because they didn't know what Dirty Kansas was and they wanted to find out. So Dirty Kanza is, I don't know, is it the biggest gravel race in the U.S.? No, because like Leadville probably is any, Leadville's a mountain bike race. Whatever. Dirty Kansas is a huge gravel race, 200 miles, really big deal. And one of the big deals this year was that pro riders were showing up, um, like Trek pro riders and maybe Cannondale. I'm like, some of the world tour teams were sending people. Uh, because it's so big and because gravel's the hot new thing, ew. That's, like, you know, where the sponsors wanted people to go. So the drama, Sarah, was that people were outraged that these pros were showing up with their, like, fancy equipment and their money and their support, and they were just ruining the community. And there are some fair points in that, like, you probably shouldn't ride arrow bars in a mass participation start race on Gravel. Like, I kind of... Kind of get that. Well, then but, make that a rule. <laughs> then make that a rule. But mm-hmm. right now, it's like gravel has no rules. Do whatever you want, and people feel like like corporatizing it is ruining the sport. And there was a huge, uh, huge Twitter social media drama. FYI,
0: I think it's what I think is hilarious is basically some really good people showed up to their race, and they're all up in arms. Right. Like really, Obviously, yeah. That, that should that should be a good thing, right? That pros showed up to their race.
1: I mean, that is like where, as a couple of people who were arguing for the pros showing up pointed out, like there is some kind of weird line where you're like, oh, well, you should be good at this, but not too good. Like if you're too good, why are you here? And then you're like, well, what was the point? Isn't it a race? Like it is a race. I also think to me what's funnier is when people start being like so-and-so is ruining the sport. And this happens in trail running or it has been happening in trail running, gravel racing. It happened in triathlon. Like we're always like people are like so-and-so, whatever it is, is ruining the sport, the feel of the community, the heart. What does that even mean? Right? Like, I don't, what is, what is ruining a sport entail? Yeah. I have a pet
0: peeve about people about maybe it's a chip on my shoulder. I don't know about around trying too hard and how we tend to judge people who try really hard at something, which I feel like, Trying hard and trying to be your best at something should be applauded in all circumstances. I
1: feel like this, uh, is this about you, Sarah? You think? You don't think trying <laughs> hard and, and being your best should be applauded in all circumstances? Well, uh, probably. I don't, I mean, okay, so you know how there's always the joke when you're at something and everyone's being like really way too uptight and intense and annoying and you're like, all right, everybody, like, don't be so triathlete about this. Like, calm down, be cool. That's about being too A-type and anal.
0: Being a type right. of anal is different than actually trying to do your best. You don't have to be a type of anal to try your best at something. Those things can be mutually exclusive.
1: Okay. Okay. At some point, isn't trying your best being like, don't you at some point then have to be obsessed about your equipment and your aerosuit suit and, and at some point you're no longer just out there for the fun of it.
0: Yeah, you can be okay. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, I think you can be that without, be, without it being in people's faces, and you can also be relaxed about it, right? So, yeah. like eating quality food can just be like, "This is what I'm doing right now." It doesn't have to be. Um, you don't have to inconvenience all kinds of other people but when you're measuring your portions.
1: <laughs> is it is this, is you this about you again, Sarah? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I just think I think we need to separate that. What it is that we we dislike? The, the thing that we dislike is that, is people being like that
1: uptight piece, right? It's not necessarily trying your best that we. True, true. I do have to tell you this weekend, (laughs) the race was a little, we kept joking that they were being a little too Canadian and basically just being like, yeah, Ever like just don't be triathlete about this because there was a lot of well the roads will be closed just like try not to get hit by a car <laughs> like, just like put your bag out of the way like try not to like get in anyone's way there's a lot of that so That's hilarious that is very yeah. Canadian and maybe the reason I have a chip on my shoulder is from being around Canadians all the time I'm like come on people try harder <laughs> get it together so yeah. Uh-oh. There was some other news this week with the Castro Semenya case, which we've talked about before, and I don't think we want to like talk about it a ton again, but she did win kind of a temporary appeal in the Swiss, uh, their equivalent of Supreme Court. They don't call it the Supreme Court, whatever, uh, federal court. Which I still love, I don't totally understand why the Swiss court gets to have a say. Like, are we just letting every country's court have a say? I think I, it's to do with the fact that the IOC headquarters are in Switzerland. I believe that is my understanding.
0: And then they have yes. to have a country that they're attached to. And because the headquarters is in Switzerland, they have to abide by the laws of Switzerland. Like I think it is like a fairly simple reason like that. I know, I just think it's a little funny. Anyway. It is funny,
1: but yeah. <laughs> so, but that happened, and our editor, Aaron, I understand, has some has some thoughts.
2: Okay. I'm about to go there with this recent news about Caster Semenya's ban being lifted and not having to take the necessary steps to reduce her elevated testosterone levels. I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, I'm glad that she won. I'm glad that she's allowed to race. But on the other hand really mad that she doesn't have to reduce her elevated testosterone level. I don't see this being very fair. Let me try to explain. Ever since female trans athletes came into the spotlight, it has been beaten into our heads that elevated testosterone levels equals a competitive advantage, whether or not it's based on facts or whatever. Female trans athletes are required have our testosterone well below the average range for cis women in order to compete and we constantly have to submit medical records that show our testosterone is within the rules if our levels are outside the range the rules state we cannot compete here we have an athlete with elevated testosterone obviously outside the normal range for women who doesn't have to reduce those levels So what they're telling me is that a certain group of athletes have to adhere to this rule and another group does not. It's complete bullshit. It has nothing to do with gender. As of today, high levels of testosterone equals to having a competitive advantage. If female trans athletes have to follow this rule, so do cis women. In my personal opinion, she should be required to lower her elevated testosterone levels. It's only fair.
0: So, I really think it was interesting Aaron's point of view as a trans woman about the testosterone because it's it's, it's actually honestly not something I had thought about and so if if a, if one group has to lower their testosterone, why shouldn't another group?
1: Right, but I think like I think our net point has been and I think my issue with like the logic there is that why should one group, right? Like if, if you're saying I'm getting fucked and have to abide by these arbitrary rules, therefore other people should, that's like, that's not the logic I would say. Maybe you shouldn't have to abide by the fucked up arbitrary rule, right? Like maybe we like, that's where we should go. Maybe we're accepting too heavily that initial flawed logic that there is one determinant for who is a woman and who's not. And that is that, you know, your testosterone has to be X, um, I think that, that actually kind of highlights some of the issues with there ever being one specific bright line of who is a woman and who's not. You know, when, whether that's chromosome testing, whether that's, you know, examining someone's genitalia, whether like and it must be X small. Like, I think whenever we make there a bright line, that's a problem for all groups of women, not just some groups of women. That would be my like, kind of net overarching point. No,
0: I agree with you. And I actually think that the trans perspective actually just shines a light on how difficult it is in this situation to, to decide and who gets to determine. And this is what we've always sort of said, like who gets to determine who's a woman for the, for the sake of sport, right? And then is testosterone, I mean, I know there's a lot of research around the advantage of testosterone, but is that really going to be, are we going to decide that's a term, the determining factor around who's a woman and who's not?
1: Um, right. She said it's been um, like drilled into her head or their heads that test, you know, your testosterone has to be, you know, testosterone is a performance advantage. But in this instance, like with the Castor Semenya case, they actually weren't able to prove that testosterone was a performance. advantage. So maybe that's been drilled into our heads, but we need to reexamine that belief. Because sure. if, if it's so obvious, they would have been able to prove it and they couldn't prove it. In the like at all like that's why this is like a whole issue. Well, right,
0: and I felt like in the eighties it was drilled into my head that your chromosomes were decided whether you were a man or a woman, right? And then they tested people's chromosomes for the sake of sport, and turned out that test uh, wasn't accurate either. It did actually didn't determine who should
1: qualify as a woman. To be clear, right? Because there are people who are women who have X Y, and there are or X X Y, and there are men who have X L. Like because it's. There are a lot of shades of gray in this scientific biological. Right, and there's
0: a lot of shades of gray in all of biology and in the biological world in general. And that is, I mean, that really in essence is, is the issue. And I don't think I, I'm not even sure there's going to be an
1: answer around. No, no. Um, so, like, and I, answer. I don't know like who's telling her that she like has, I don't know what rule she was t- like referring to that, um, like her levels have to be below because I know like the I, that's not the IOC's rule. Um and, and so I, I yeah, so uh I think a lot of these rules are still kind of being figured out to a s to a degree.
0: Yeah. So I think the IOC's rule is that a trans woman has to have estrogen levels within what they consider to be normal range for a woman. Right? They
1: um they did make a testosterone. They said you have to identify as a woman, you have to have like uh some kind of document from your country, right? That that you are a a woman. And you cannot just decide that one day, right? You have to have been that for four years, I believe, is their time period. And also, um, it used to be you had to have gone through surgery, and now they have changed it to a testosterone limit. But that limit currently is twice the track and fields limit that they're trying to, that, you know, is being debated in this intersex debate. Um, Yeah. So it's it's a weird, but like, that's still also being appealed. Like, there's still a lot of things that are being up for, up for... It's a It's a gray zone. I know. I mean, it gets down to you, you can't really draw a line, right? But yeah. we have to. But we are trying to draw a line. I don't know that we have to. People are trying for for reasons that seem questionable uh, to draw a line, and there isn't there isn't one. There so. isn't one for sure.
0: Okay. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about the Women's Soccer World Cup, which is starting soon. We would like to thank Noon Hydration for supporting the podcast get 30% off your order by using the code ironwomen at noonlife.com that's ironwomen at noonlife.com and don't forget to order your feisty gear at livefeisty.com with the code riding to get a 20% discount follow at if we were riding on all the social medias and leave us a review on iTunes also tell your actual friends in person how awesome we are because that works too if We Were Riding is a live feisty media production and is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our marvelous editor is Aaron Hamilton.
2: My time, my time. None of you people can tell me to stop this time, like the last time. You better get ready to race in a titty to do.
0: So Kelly, I need you to update me because
1: on the World Cup, you're my feisty sports reporter. So tell me what's going on. All right, so the Women's World Cup starts on Friday, and it's actually funny because I always just call it the World Cup, and like sometimes in past years, people have been like, "Oh, the World Cup's happening next," and I've been like, "What are you talking about?" And it turns out when people say World Cup, I actually immediately think Women's. I don't think Men's. FYI. Which is weird. Um, but it starts on Friday. The U.S. is obviously a favorite. Canada is also a favorite. Uh, it's like U.S., France, Canada, Germany, uh, maybe Australia. Uh, so it's going to be very exciting. And this is actually maybe the first year one could argue that there are so many teams that could win it. That as a sport, women's soccer has really gone professional. Evolved. I don't want to say that. Evolved. Um, It's gotten more competitive. It's gotten deeper. Like, it's a wider range of athletes. There's a lot, lot, lot more money in it now, which is still, like, a fraction of the amount of money in the men's sport, but it's getting more and more, Uh, and that's obviously then raising a lot of those same questions that came up in gravel racing this week. You know, is this what we want? Do we, because, you know, with sponsors come sponsors and obligations and media. I also think it's interesting, because this may be the last year that the U.S. is a favorite, which is, like, oh, so. They might not even, they might, like, they they could get knocked out by France in the quarterfinals. Uh, so that would be crazy. Yeah. For the record, I'm not asking, is this what we want in terms of women's soccer getting bigger?
0: This is what we want. I want to have women's soccer on TV so I can watch it with my kid.
1: It is on TV, FYI. Well, it's on. I it t- like... want it to be bigger.
0: I want it to be mainstream. <laughs> I want there to be
1: heroes. I want them to be on billboards that my daughter can right. see. But as with anything, when you... Uh, Shake hands with the devil, like it comes with yeah. obligations for um, sure. There'll be there'll be teething problems along the way. Yeah, uh, soccer, women's soccer is also the biggest of the women's sports. Like the the most like a man, like like professional men's leagues. Uh, it is the biggest deal one in a lot of ways. I so. was a soccer player when I was young. Cause it's a huge sport for girls here did you not go when it was in vancouver oh is it is it huge in the u.s yes sarah yes it is (laughs) as a a girl sport i like how you had to ask that that's because it's so commonly known here like every girl played soccer as a kid did you play soccer of course i played soccer i played (laughs) soccer for like 10 years everyone played soccer like this it was like required in the 80s as a girl that you played soccer um Like, it's not even... That's partially why we've been really good for, like, 20 years, because every girl played soccer. But did you not go... I went when it was in Vancouver last time around, four years ago, and it was really fun. I went to the final, the US-Japan final. Oh, amazing. And okay. I'm going to
0: spend, you're, you're a sports reporter, so people pay you to do these kinds of things, but I feel like I've missed a whole pile of sporting experiences by being a professional athlete. So like Vancouver Olympics would be number one on my list. Like yeah. looking back, I'm like, why the F did I not go to that? That's a um, good question. And I'm going to add the world cup to my list. So from here on in, I'm going to go to all of the sporting Everything.
1: events. Okay, good. I just put in for tickets for Tokyo. So Olympics. So oh, awesome. On that. Can I come? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me to stop. My town, my crown. We know what it takes to be reaching
2: the top. We reaching the top. We reaching the top. We know what it takes to be reaching the top.